You're listening to From the Field, a podcast helping ministry leaders think differently, thrive personally, and lead thoughtfully. Welcome to From the Field. My name is Ryan Hughley, and I'm lead pastor of Formation Church in Salt Lake City, Utah. And I also write about developing relationship with God at ryanhughley.com. My name is Tyler Dravitz, and I'm the XP at Formation Church. And I also lead a company called MyXP, where we help pastors solve problems by providing remote executive pastor support to churches around the country. Learn more at myxp.church. Well, we are in a series of conversations <clears throat> discussing the unique value that is accessible to smaller churches. We hear so much about the obvious value in large churches. Large churches are able to do quote-unquote big things, and as a result, many small churches feel devalued in the midst of that. And Mm -hmm. so the mindset becomes larger churches are better because they're bigger. Mm. And so what we're trying to do is to look at, well, what is the unique value that is offered in a smaller community? Totally. Because there is some things that are more present or can be, I think this is the angle that we've, we've really tried to come at, that can be more um, obviously and overtly valuable in a smaller community than in a large one. Mm-hmm. And so this week we want to talk about, <clears throat> excuse me, the value of simplicity. Mm-hmm. Um, and But before we really jump into some of our thoughts on how we can actually go about fighting for simplicity, mm. I, I was thinking about this and I'm curious to hear your thoughts. <clears throat> Both of us have served in large and small churches. Yep. And as a general rule, and this is a th- something I, I want to put out there, as a general rule, a smaller community has fewer moving parts. Mm-hmm. Now, we've both had experiences with smaller churches that have like one billion things going on. Mm-hmm. And so they can be, I would argue, needlessly complex sure. at times. Whereas a large church necessarily has a lot of moving parts. Sometimes smaller churches are needlessly complex. That being said, I wonder if there is anything in small churches, especially as you work in supporting so many churches, is there anything about small churches that you would say have a tendency to actually be more complex? Um, yeah, I mean, I think it's some of it, and it's part of our conversation today. Some of it depends on what the, the pastor or the small staff at the church decide is important for Mm -hmm. them to do. Uh, but I, I think about it in terms of like, for some reason, I always have this like memory imprinted of like on the tonight show or something like that, somebody doing the plate spinning thing Mm -hmm. where it's on like a stick and they like, and, and they get them all running. And by the time they get back to the first one, it's wobbly. And so they get back to it. I think at a small church, especially in churches where you've got like only one staff member, like the lead pastor is the only one, it's his responsibility to keep all the plates spinning. Yeah. Um, and so it's really, it really does boil down to like, how many plates have you put on a stick that you're trying to keep spinning? Yeah. Um, because, you know, you do possess that ability and authority yourself. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I think that that part of it, 
um, is a little subjective to kind yeah. of the, the situation. Whereas at a large church, oftentimes uh, it's so uh, role focused that you might have a plate spinning super fast, but it's one guy and all he has to do is keep his eye on that one plate. Right. That's obviously going to be a much more effective thing. You know, the plate's not going to wobble. The plate's not going to fall or it hopefully shouldn't mm-hmm. uh, because that's all that person's job is. Uh, I think just in general, probably a universal is like ensuring you have enough people to serve to meet the needs of the congregation. Yeah. Uh, because like even in our situation at formation, we, you know, it would be amazing for us to be in an environment where we can like let people know like, Hey, like we'd love for you to serve. We recognize maybe you need like uh, a rest after your last church. Maybe you're going through a particular season in life. That's difficult. Like that would be great to mm-hmm. be able to just provide people like, Hey, like go at your own pace and kind of figure it out. The problem in our situation is that like, we need everyone to do their part. Otherwise mm-hmm. it doesn't get done. Right. Like there isn't, you know, or I think a about, few people get completely crushed oh, totally. under the weight of doing everything, which we've had. Totally. Absolutely. And I think of like at our large church that we were a part of in North Carolina, I don't remember ever talking to the kids guy, uh, our kids uh, director mm-hmm. about being short staffed. I Never. don't, I feel like that's the only thing I talk about in <laughs> here. And, yeah. Well, just in this church or the church we were a part of before it was always like, do we have enough kids workers? Do we have enough kids workers? Right. And at that church, now that I think about it, I don't feel like that was ever a thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, and we needed so many, mm-hmm. but there were also so many people. And I'm certain that that church had tons of people who did not serve in any way. So yep. I think, I think, ensuring that everyone is in the same place, understanding their role to like move the mission forward in a way that requires their time and energy Mm -hmm. is probably a big thing. And I, I mean, I would just, I think that your, your example of like spinning one plate really well is, Mm -hmm. is a, is a good example because I do remember, you know, being, you know, being a lead pastor in a larger church with a full staff And I mean, I'm thinking back in almost two years, I don't know that I ever met with someone for any sort of like formal pastoral counseling because we had an entire staff member and department Mm -hmm. that did that. So I didn't, I I met with, it's not to say that I didn't have lunch and coffee with people in the church, but whereas I do, I mean, that's like half my job here Mm -hmm. now. You know, all I did there, I mean, now that being said, that almost killed me, but my primary responsibilities were teaching, Mm -hmm. dealing with and leading the elder board, Mm -hmm. which was a full-time job. Mm. And then also, you know, some amount of care over the staff. Yeah. And that was largely, I mean, those were my, my three plates, if you will. Totally. And, and here, you know, I, I mean, I have to do if it's not like logistical in nature mm. in all of the things that you do, yeah. then by and large, I end up doing the job of like the lead pastor, a traditional associate pastor, like, sure. and I would say that that part does feel more complex in that you wear switching m- metaphors. You wear more hats sure. in a small church oftentimes than you do as a part of a larger team. Yeah, absolutely. And even because of the fact that I have like kind of that, like already nine to five job, uh, even some of the logistical things that, 
um, if they have to happen during the day, like the one I, uh, that's most fresh in my mind was it was as we changed our name from Ridgeline to formation, it was such a hassle to get it updated on the bank. And genuinely, like I went to one and they wouldn't meet with me. And so they wanted me to go to another. And then that person wasn't going to be ready. Like genuinely, like they did figure it out, but I was just going to tell you, like, you're going to have to figure this out because yep. I can't lose the time during right. the day and banks aren't open on, you know, in the evening. So, right. Yeah, yeah Totally. So all that to say, there are some things that are inherently complex, even in small churches. But in general, I think one of the invitations that we have in pastoring smaller communities is that we really can fight for simplicity, Mm -hmm. but oftentimes we don't. So I think it would be interesting to think a little bit about what is it about us that is so often attracted to or drawn to complexity. Mm -hmm. Does that make sense? Yeah, absolutely. And so like one thing that comes to mind for me is I think that complexity just as a, here, here would be the big idea of this section that I think, um, complexity makes us more busy mm-hmm. and that there are some things about being more busy that are attractive. Sure. They must be because we are such an overextended culture in general. Totally. There has to be something that is like inherently attractive about being busy. Well, and it's a huge business fallacy, the idea that activity equals progress. Yeah. Um, and so you just feel like, yeah, let's just like... Just do stuff. Yeah, like keep spinning the hamster wheel and I'm going to yeah. get somewhere. And right. the problem is the hamster does not. Right. Just real, real tired. And so I think that I also think that sometimes it can be a matter of you feeling like if we just add one more thing or one more program, like yeah. I, I can manage it for a while because then the thousands will show up. Right. And, and the choice to add that thing or do that thing or be extra tired or work out of my kind of wheelhouse is going to pay off. Uh, I think the challenge to that and something, uh, I'm not saying that that's never something that's worked for anyone. I'm not saying that it's not something to really consider with your leadership team. I think a couple of things. One, there's no guarantee that that will happen because, you know, God gives the growth. Mm -hmm. And so it doesn't matter all of that. It's not that it doesn't matter, but it's not a guarantee. Right. Um, And so I think there's uh, that reality. I think also uh, you might kill yourself waiting for that to happen. So there's that one. And then lastly, um, there's also no guarantee that someone's going to come in and relieve you of some of those things. And so you may take on the responsibility to do something that you really loathe that now you've created demand for. Yeah. And uh, now you're locked into it. And so now you've created an environment that you don't even want to be a part of yep. uh, because it, it was your idea and willingness to drive forward. And so yep. I think there's a handful of things that are kind of drawbacks mm-hmm. of going out about complexity in that way. Yep. And I've been guilty of everything that you just described. And I think that like, if I were to summarize kind of the why behind it for me, it was that like being busy can make us feel valuable. Mm -hmm. So I feel like it justifies my job. It makes me, it also like steward and like doing stuff feels productive, Mm -hmm. whether or not, again, there's progress being made. It just makes us feel valuable. Mm -hmm. I would say the, maybe the other side of that coin that can be this real insidious driver for a Mm. lot of pastors is that, um, us being busy makes other people feel like we're valuable. Yeah. There, there is still, I mean, I've experienced this in my own family and in people that don't really understand what I do mm-hmm. as for a vocation. There's kind of that old adage of like, pastors only work on Sunday. Yep. And so <clears throat> if and then I'm they just get coffee with people. Yeah, maybe. Or play golf, yeah. which maybe was true historically. I don't know. I don't know that to be true of any pastor in my life. Truthfully, I don't think I know 
very many lazy pastors. Mm-mm. I think a lot of, I know a lot of workaholic pastors, Oh yeah, but I don't know very many lazy ones. Like yep. I know a lot of ministry leaders who work upwards of 50 to 70 hours a week. Totally. Like, and that's a lot. Mm-hmm. So, um, but there is this sort of like, there can be this, and I would say this is an important weed to root out of your culture. This, this kind of mindset of a, well, pa- being a pastor is easy. You guys don't really do anything outside of Sunday mm-hmm. and our tithe pays your salary. So dance monkey dance. Sure. And I would say that pastorally busyness sets a bad example for your church. Totally. Jesus was productive mm-hmm. and, but not busy. Right. You know, like there's this, and I, so many pastors have pointed this out that it's like old hat at this point, but there is something interesting about the fact that like, we don't have record of Jesus running anywhere. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like there was just sort of, so that like the language I have people I like say that. to me, you do like that. Mm-hmm. I, yeah, I know you do. <laughs> there's one thing you hate. It's <laughs> having to run. Mm-hmm. Um, <clears throat> I would say, when people, and I hear this all the time, oh, I know you're so busy. Like people say that in an email over text message mm-hmm. or in person. And I try to always correct people and go, no, 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 I have, I have a full schedule, but I'm not busy. Right. Because I don't want to set that as an example. That is just this sure. weird, like lust that we have in our culture of mm-hmm. like busy equals meaningful. Yeah. And, and I think that sets a bad example. So even if you have this fear that, well, if I'm not like stretched to the limit and wanting to quit every single day, people aren't going to think I'm valuable. Who cares? Let them leave. <laughs> yeah. And I think the reality is, unfortunately, some of that is just made up in our own heads. Yep. You know, like, like we wonder if people are thinking that. I think the challenge is uh, a lot of pastors I know, including us, have the experience where that's actually been leveled. Sure, totally. Uh, either to them or in conversations about them. And so I just look at that and I say, well, it, it, you know, it's hard because on one end, you don't want to like feed the monster that is just, you know, like what does people think? I mean, your mm-hmm. brain can get very creative with what you believe people are thinking. Totally. But then when it like, then when it comes to fruition, yeah. it's like real hard to shake loose. It is. Yeah. Yep. And then the last thing I would say is why it's attractive is that being busy is just stimulating. Oh, sure. I mean, I, I think that's why if there's something that drives our sort of cultural busyness, I think it's probably from this real deep, often unconscious disdain for wanting to have to sit with what we actually feel. Mm-hmm. And so I'll just stay busy to try to keep ahead of it. Yep. And that's really stimulating. You mm-hmm. know, like I remember <clears throat> at our last church, that was big, even though I was not doing pastoral counseling, I, I was, I mean, I was having like seven, eight, nine meetings a day. Sure. Thing to thing to thing to thing to thing. Yeah. And, and it was just like, I wasn't bored. <laughs> the, the number of days I was bored for those 18 months were next mm-hmm. to, to none. Oh yeah, for um, sure. And that's attractive. Like we, we have a, we hate boredom, uh, oh. despite, you know, an immense amount of research that says that there's some real health for the brain and boredom. Yeah. We like to stay ahead of that totally. and run away from that. So mm-hmm. all of that being said, our argument would be that one of the invitations in a smaller community is to have more simplicity. Mm-hmm. And as a result of that, we think it's something worth fighting for. Mm-hmm. And so let's just finish this up by talking about um, the value of fighting for simplicity. Mm-hmm. Like what, what does that afford us? And I would say the first thing, and this is probably the most important thing, would be that it it really does if you're if you make the decision we want to be simple in nature that we get to really think about what's essential mm-hmm. and I think I think that's one thing especially as I've done and I'll just speak I guess on the preaching front 
that I've noticed with new preachers <clears throat> is they have really little sense of what matters. Mm-hmm. And when you don't really know what matters, everything matters because mm-hmm. you don't know. Sure. And I think that a lot of ministry leaders are guilty of that. We're not really certain, like, what is essential in what we are doing here and mm-hmm. what I do here? And because of a lack of conviction around that, we end up trying to do everything. Sure. And I think it's so important. I mean, this would be worth... Um, a personal retreat, a leadership retreat, whatever it it would look like in your context to really sit down and put on paper what it what that we do is essential. Sure. Meaning like, what is it essential that a church does in general? And what is it essential that our church does? Totally. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. A second thing would be, um, it helps us with... Uh, to have maybe gives us a, a little bit easier time having a healthier work-life blend. And so I think we might've talked about this on here before, but typically when people hear that, they would think, oh, you mean work-life balance. Mm-hmm. So talk a little bit about your own understanding of work-life blend and where that language came from. Yeah, for sure. I mean, it was uh, something that uh, as I spent uh, about 10 years working at Starbucks, that was something that we really talked about a lot, the work-life balance, work-life balance. And then um, I got promoted to the district manager level and got to go to Seattle for this kind of like immersion thing of like mm-hmm. just further understanding the culture and the company and all of that. Um, and the CEO came in to talk to this group of leaders, uh, or he was the president of the company at that time. And he, you know, was just talking about the idea that he really wanted to strike, like, you know, he, uh, uh, came to the company externally mm-hmm. um, and had been there a few years, and he really wanted to strike the idea of this work-life balance from our vocabulary. Because if you think about it, even like from a sciencey standpoint, I don't know. I don't ever know how <laughs> yeah. to like preframe that. Physics, but, maybe. Yeah, whatever. <laughs> In order for something to be in balance, there has to be equal tension. Like if you yeah. think about the old school, like kind of balance back and forth thing, mm-hmm. there is the exact amount of tension on both sides in order to keep it balanced, and that mm-hmm. is darn near impossible. And even as you're trying to balance one of those old school scales, it's got to be exact. Otherwise it won't work. Right. And so he really advocated for a work-life blend. His example in this conversation was that he is his son's, uh, t-ball first base coach Mm -hmm. and he would bring a a lawn chair and have his laptop and that was back when you had to have one of those like special cards you shoved in the side and he's like so like we pay for that because like I have the ability to be present for my son he's so happy to have me there um, and I have a really busy job and so he's like I can knock out 200 emails while also like cheering the kids around the base because it's Mm t-ball and so that's where he talked about this idea of a work-life blend that and Unless you're going to keep things in constant tension where like, if I'm going to be at one, the other one's going to be stressed. Or if I'm going to be at the other, the other yeah. one's going to be stressed. And so it puts you in a situation where it's this great blend of like, I'm going to try to figure out how to do both, not encroaching on, uh, you know, uh, your, you know, your spouse's desire to have focused attention or anything like mm-hmm. that. But sometimes life is messy yeah. and it's going to like, you know, and so maybe someone from your church called and you, you decided to go and be with them in the hospital and that took a whole evening. Well then I don't know, come in late the next day or don't work at all. Or, you know, trying to figure out a way to make it work in concert together is going to be way more successful and create a far more sustainable, like approach to your job than trying to keep things in perfect balance. Yeah. When I, when I hear the word blend, for some reason, my mind goes to wine Mm -hmm. and how oftentimes there are blends of wine that are made up of a multitude of different kinds of grapes, Yep, but they're not, they're not balances. They're not equal. Like balance means 50, 50. So if I work eight hours 
and I have eight hours of focused present work time, I must therefore have eight hours of present focused family time. And that, I mean, that isn't practical for most people, including pastors. Sure. And so the blend is more looking at your unique family makeup, your personal wiring, your spouse's wiring, if you have one, your kids wiring, if you have kids and figuring out what is the blend that is necessary for all of this to work together. Mm -hmm. And I think that, uh, you know, to your point is just such a much better word choice and image around what it is that we're trying to accomplish. And the more simple that our ministry structure is the less complicated it is for us to figure out that blend. Because mm-hmm. to go back to your opening illustration, we're not trying to figure out how to keep, you know, 90 plates equally balanced at the same time. Totally. Um, I think another thing would be more margin for your own soul care. Mm-hmm. You know, like that, that's one thing I would say that I definitely saw, and this is, I mean, I'm not saying that that can't happen at large churches. It a- absolutely can. But due to the complexity of our past experience, mm-hmm. that was something for me personally that was sorely neglected. Mm. And for you. Because sure. we didn't have, that we were like so busy trying to put out fires and and keep, you know, all of this stuff happening that... I mean, I, I, it wasn't until really two years after being out of that that I really stopped to take stock of like, huh. And I'm truthfully now, five years later, I'm still really seeing, you know, in a, in a, in a very pointed way, the effects of that. Mm-hmm. And that's something that when you are go, 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 because of how complex and how busy everything is, you really can't do that. And sure. that takes a toll after a while. And mm-hmm. those that think it doesn't, you just haven't hit the wall yet. Right. But the wall's coming. And then lastly, uh, I w- we would say that it invites us to leverage the gifts that we actually have. Mm-hmm. And this is something um, that you were talking about before we recorded that I think you have a lot of good thoughts on. And, and that's just simply that every single one of our churches has a unique makeup of people with a unique set of gifts. And there are some things in our church, for instance, while we do really fight to remain simple, there are certain things that we do at a much higher level mm-hmm. than what our size would would make would lead people to think. Sure. So just talk a little bit about some of your thoughts around that. Yeah. I mean, I think that it's just a matter of assessing what your church has. What is the makeup of your body? What are the gifts and what are the, Mm -hmm. and what's the willingness of the people in the church? You might have somebody who's excellent at something, but they are running at full capacity and can't, you know, like contribute in that way to the church and other, and that's where I think uh, it's so dangerous uh, to compare. You know, obviously if you're like a small church, a church planner, and you go to a church planning conference at a mega church, I remember doing that and just feeling like, man, this is amazing, but I'll, you know, it'll never be anything like, you know, and Mm -hmm. so you have, you know, you know, like you're coveting, there's all kinds of stuff going on in your heart and mind, but, but there is this sense of like, you go back to yours and you're like, this is all we got. (laughs) And so that one's pretty automatic, I think. But when you go to someone else's church, who's like the similar size as yours, you've got similar amounts of experience and all that. It's still very dangerous to look in at what they do or what they have and then figure out, well, man, I guess that's feedback for me. I should be doing that too. I mean, we're 
we're bigger than they are. Why aren't we doing that? And that really is an issue you have to take up with the Lord mm-hmm. because, again, rushing into like try to execute those things um, when you don't have the resources or the people available can do one of a couple of things. It can make you crazy and too busy. Uh, it can bankrupt your church because you're spending lots of money to get a quality of something mm-hmm. that um, your church just doesn't have the luxury to have. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think a great example that comes to mind in our experience is that we've been really blessed to have a graphic designer who mm-hmm. um, has really, I mean, he like, God has like really blessed his steps. He's got uh, like a lot of venues in which companies pay him great sums of money in order to like do design work for them. So Mm -hmm. my point being, he's very, very talented, but he's also got a heart for the church. Um, It's something that uh, he's done for us as, as his service without like Mm -hmm. invoicing for years and years. Mm -hmm. And so you can like even remotely, like design is one of those things you can see digitally, of course. And Mm -hmm. so um, it's easy to look and say, wow, you know, geez, like look at all that they have. Mm -hmm. And and meanwhile, if we didn't have that, I mean, it would be like clip art and Mm -hmm. like Microsoft publisher and Mm -hmm. all of that. And granted, there are lots of things coming out nowadays that make it a lot more accessible for pastors. Uh, But that's a great example of like looking at our church, knowing what size we are, and then just looking at some of that content that we are able to produce and distribute might you might look at it and say, well, man, they're paying somebody a fortune and that's weird mm-hmm. for a church their size. Or you look at it and say, man, we should be able to do at least that. And meanwhile, I mean, there's large corporations that aren't going to pay that that guy to do stuff for them because of what he would charge. So yeah. surely a church should not, you mm-hmm. know what I mean? Yeah. And so I think it's just a matter, or the same thing is true. Like I get an opportunity to have, to just, uh, by starting my XP five years ago, it took my executive pastor experience and shifted it into overdrive because now I have all of these different organizations that I'm learning from mm-hmm. that we're trying things with all of that. And like, you know, formation always gets the like benefit of a little bit being the beta, but then also mm-hmm. gleaning on all that has been learned. And so we operate from a logistical and back end standpoint at a pretty high level comparative mm-hmm. to most churches, even churches much bigger than we are. And yeah. that's because I'm here. And right. if I wasn't here, I don't believe those things would continue on unless God... Everybody would just text me for everything. <laughs> for sure. If you're new, text me. You want to join something? Text me. Right. If you're going to serve, I hope text you show me. up. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I, hope, I hope six people show up on Sunday for the kids. Otherwise, we're out of luck. Uh, you know, and that kind of thing. Unless God were to replace, mm-hmm. you know, and I think one of the reasons my XP exists is um, not everyone has somebody like that. Right. Um, and so I think that everyone just has to look at like, what has God decided to entrust you with and be a faithful steward of that. Uh, but don't spend too much time like uh, either pining away for what you don't have or working yourself into the grave mm-hmm. early, uh, trying to get something you think you should have. That's interesting. I, I would say as a principle, then one way to discern what are the confines for simplicity that God wants me to function within. Mm-hmm. And I would say to pay attention to those constraints. Yeah. You know, if you don't have it, you know, if you don't have someone uh, or you don't have the group of people that wants to, you know, together pull off some aspect of programming, mm-hmm. maybe that is a, a signal to you that that's not something that God 
desires for you to have in that season. But really paying attention to those constraints and allowing those to be uh, a source of discerning what should be the limits of our ministry, I think that that's really, really a a, a faithful, pointed way to figure that out. And I really, just as a follow-up, I would say in 2023... Um, I get that sometimes the solve is hiring someone. Mm-hmm. I have a company that gets hired by churches to do something, mm-hmm. but um, that cannot be the lever that everyone's pulling all the time because um, if you're here and you're like aware of the financials in your church and you're seeing kind of like a slow kind of graph go down and to the right, um, that's very, very common. I get an opportunity to talk with someone who uh, has a tool that analyzes church giving at a much huger scale than what we support. Mm -hmm. And it is almost universal, not completely, but almost. And so it's just something that um, be really, really careful besides paying for it is the solve. Yep. That's good. Well, as always, we want to thank you for listening to from the field. And if, somebody comes to mind that you think might benefit from this conversation, we'd be honored if you would share it with a friend. Um, And as a reminder, From the Field is really only one branch, even as you've heard on this episode of our ministry. And so you can learn more about Formation Church at formationslc.com. You can subscribe to my newsletter at ryanhugley.com, as well as find me on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram at at ryanhugley. That's H-U-G-U-L-E-Y. You can find me on the same platforms at at Tyler Dravitz. That's D-R-E-W-I-T-Z. And you can learn more about MyXP at myxp.church. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next time. 